thank you so much for for a new day, my God. Thank you that, that you love us. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to come together and worship you in the spirit and in truth, Father God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us directly to our heart, Father God. That may you give us uh, conviction if conviction is needed, Father God. That you help us to walk according to your will and your will alone, Father God, and to be used by you, Father. So we thank you for this opportunity that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, Father, and worship you, Father God. We love you, Jesus. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Father, we thank you for this day, my God. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, God, that you, O Lord, are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, there is none like you. For you are the great I am. Your love and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, Father, that we know you as healer, as deliverer, as provider, as comforter, as our strong tower. We thank you, Father, that you are for us and not against us. Thank you, God, that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We thank you that your word says that no weapon forged against us shall prosper. We thank you, Father, that your word says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you, Father, that your word says that we are above and not beneath, and that we are partakers of your divine nature. Oh God, there is none like you, for you alone are God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our teacher. We thank you, God, that you've given us everything we need to live a godly life, empowering us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, that we are new creatures. The old things are gone. Behold, new things are coming forth. And so as we open your word today, my God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be good soil. And as the seed goes forth today, that it will take plant and root within our hearts. And that from it, God, our lives would be changed and transformed to be more like you. Be with those that are not with us today for whatever reason, God. We pray, God, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that, Lord, that they would be seeking you this day. Each one is going through their own set of circumstances, but, God, you're still God over all. And that they look towards you. And that they take comfort and refuge in you and in you alone. Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 16. And then we're going to be reading through chapter 18, verse 19. That's where we're starting. And then we're heading to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 24. And then we're heading to Psalm 7. And then we'll close in Proverbs chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 5. I'm excited about the portion of Genesis that we're reading through today. And I think a lot of times, not a lot of times, I think the majority of us could possibly relate to today's portion of reading when we take matters into our own hands we make a mess of things we make a mess of things and it not only affects us but affects others especially generations but what we're going to see is that God is faithful we already know the works of the flesh there's nothing good that the flesh can do Everything that the flesh sets out to do, it destroys. Praise be to God, those who are in Christ have been born again of the Spirit. And yet, though, the Bible tells us in Galatians that the flesh and the Spirit, they war against each other. I've encouraged us, and I encourage myself, you know, what you feed breeds, what you starve dies. If you're feeding the flesh, you'll live according to it. You feed your spirit, you'll live according to that. And the Bible says that if you walk habitually in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. See, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. The hope that we have in Christ, this hope of, of being a new creation, all things are made new. And as we're reading through this portion of Scripture, we have to recall back from the beginning when we started, and we have this understanding that God has set a plan in motion. The plan of redemption. Of His creation. Of mankind. We already have an understanding that the cross was purposed even before Adam and Eve sinned. See, God's plan is taking place. <clears throat> and just because man tries to interfere with God's plan and God's timing doesn't thwart God's plan. We're also going to see and gain an understanding when the Bible talks about that it rains on the, on the wicked and the righteous. <laughs> the wicked and the righteous can both prosper in the earth. The difference is the wicked for eternity will be separated from God. But the righteous will be with God for eternity. For they belong to God. And so we can take great comfort in knowing that our God is faithful. And that our God is just. And that our God is going to fulfill what He has spoken. And then as we transition into Matthew, we're going to be looking at our motives. Jesus is going to kind of open up our hearts and kind of speak and reveal what is our intent for what we do. For our motives should be right. They should be pure. And then we're going to see again an, an incredible, another credible psalm, just how God protects us. That God himself protects us. And then we're going to end with hearing about wisdom. But look here. Chapter 16. 
Here we go. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So, Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Notice who she blames. Yet, though, God promised Abraham a child. Now it's the Lord's fault. And look at what she says. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And notice that what we just read there is no different than when we blame God for not moving in our timing. And so since God has done this to me, then I've got to figure things out. We must be careful of that. We must be careful. We must learn to wait on the Lord. To be patient. For what God has promised, He will bring to pass. And also, it was a custom in this day for women who were not able to give birth to have their husbands sleep with their maidservant And that was a form, if you would, of adoption at that time. They would take the child in. And so, and Abram, it says, agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now, Abram should have known better. He's the man of faith, remember. But how easily he was influenced by his wife. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Now the drama starts. See, when we take things into our own hands, we create drama. And it's going to affect everybody. And notice that she's not taking any responsibility. Oh, what a lesson that we can learn. We're so quick to blame everyone else when our own hands has caused the mess. Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the I'm sorry, by the spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. Sarai, she replied. 
the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Interesting. She kind of receives the same blessing, if you would, of Abraham. You're going to have many descendants, more than you can count. It's also interesting that she finds herself in the wilderness. And in a place, I'm sure, of confusion, of doubt, of, of just feeling lost. And I love this picture of this stream in the wilderness. A stream of water, of refreshment. And it was there that she was greeted by the angel. And I love also the fact that the angel sent her back to, as a picture of submission to authority. Go back. And there's so many things that as you sit just and ponder just on these couple of scriptures... That it's in our times of distress, it's in our times of uncertainty, it's in our times of, 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 of overwhelming you know, anxiousness or uncertainty of our future. That God shows up Amen. and speaks. And sometimes what he speaks may not be what we want. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's probably the last thing Hagar wanted to do was to go back and submit. <laughs> To Sarai, to her authority. But you know what? I love the fact that Hagar did just that. And sometimes we need to be in full submission to the authority that is set over us. Amen. The only time is if the authority over us is causing us to do something illegal, immoral, or unethical. Other than that, Submit and serve and honor. Submit, serve, and honor those that God has placed over you. And it's interesting as we're going to learn about this child that Hagar is carrying, he, we're going to find out that he's Ishmael. And it's interesting that the, the Arabs of our own generations and generations before us, see Ishmael. It's kind of like their father figure. The, the fight between Ishmael and Isaac still go on to this day and will continue to go on until Jesus returns. By Sarai's act of enticing Abram, and Abram gave is just as, just as much to blame as Sarai, because they weren't, they weren't patient enough, has caused generations upon generations upon generations of conflict. It says here, and we're going to see here in verse 11, and after he says, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count, he goes on, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means... God hears. For the Lord, how beautiful is this, has heard your cry of distress. 
This son of yours will be a wild man, <laughs> and untamed as a donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that was, I'm sorry, so that well was named Belaroi which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 80 years old when Ishmael was born. Wow. And I love the fact that Hagar was an Egyptian. That's where she was heading back to, back to Egypt. And yet, there must have been some influence on her life being around Abram and Sarai to be able to have this encounter with God and to say, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress, the angel says. And then she says, I'm sorry, you are the God who sees me. Have I truly seen the one who sees me. Oh, that's a beautiful picture. God sees you. He hears our cries of distress. He comforts us. But in his comforting, like I said earlier, it may not be what we want to hear. Could you imagine your mother's in the room hearing the description that the, that the angel of the Lord is pronouncing over your child? This child is going to cause such strife and division mm. in his offspring mm -hmm. as well. And we see it even today. Mm. Wow. <coughs> hmm. Careful what we birth in the flesh. Mm. It's another lesson we can take. For whatever we birth in the flesh like I said earlier, is always going to bring destruction. Destruction. No matter how you conjure it up in your mind, in your heart, it's the right thing to do. Trust me, if you haven't already figured it out, if you put your hands to it, and you're bringing it about in your own way and in your own purpose, striving for it, it'll catch up to you sooner or later up to you sooner or later. It may fulfill something for a moment, but sooner or later it's going to erupt and it's going to wreak havoc. Careful what you birth in the flesh. Chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, wow, this is beautiful. Mm. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully 
and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this time, Abram fell down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. And that's what Abraham means. The father of many. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Wow. Notice, when God appeared and spoke, Abram's response. He worshipped him. He fell down to the ground. And that posture of submission. God speaks. How are we responding? It's vital that as God speaks, that we respond in full submission, in full worship. Worship. What a beautiful picture of surrender. And so many times we, we fight with God, or again, we're, we're wrestling to, to get, uh, get it about and get it done our way, but we must learn to be patient. And when God speaks, submit. A full submission. And listen to this covenant. That he's telling him. And if you study the Bible, you have an understanding that yet though there is this physical understanding and the natural understanding that Abram's offspring would, would come forth and this is where, you know, God spoke of the one who will come to crush the head of the serpent, Jesus, the Messiah. Everything's being in place put in place to bring this about. So now we have this covenant with Abraham of this generational everlasting covenant to where the Messiah is going to come through. As kings and, and all this and these people of birth from all these descendants of Abraham, kings would raise up. But there's going to be one king that will be eternal. So we see this plan laid out. And in this, we see God's concern for what's to come. Because he's blessing generations upon generations of people who he will be their God. And in return, as we've been learning, is that they will in return turn and be his people. They will worship their God. 
So the covenant for Abraham is also the, the, the spiritual understanding within the new covenant through Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus are children of Abraham. And as we're reading through the Bible, we'll see how all this connects and comes back to Abraham, comes back to this covenant that God is speaking. That God is speaking. And has not only spoke, but has established. So this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give them, I'm sorry, I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. And what is that continual responsibility? To obey. God's laws. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. And now we understand in our generations and, you know, from them, that Christians are no longer under this law because now as Christians, the circumcision is of the heart. But then, this is what was established for the males that belong to Abraham. This was the sign of this covenant. Then God said to Abram, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. Her name, from, I'm sorry, from now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abram bowed down to the ground. But, he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. Wow. But God replied, No. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. Notice this. Here Abraham is questioning, how is this going to be? I have a son, so may it be as unto him. And God is like, that is not the promised son. That's your son, basically. That's the works of your flesh. That is not what I purpose." 
what I purpose will come to pass because what I have promised, I've already established. And Isaac will come forth. <clears throat> but God replied, no. Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As far as Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abram took his wife, I'm sorry, took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that same day along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants, all were circumcised with him. The Lord appeared again to Abram next, I'm sorry, near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abram was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day, he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran over to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abram ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abram ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abram, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is your wife? I'm sorry, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Ah, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. Then the men got up from their meal and looked over towards Sodom. 
As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plans from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Wow. Abraham has this encounter with God. And in this, it says here, in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think that's a lesson that we could take away from this. When our circumstances, when we've been holding on to the promises of God's word, when, when God has spoken to us and we just haven't seen what God has spoken come to pass yet, may we reflect and meditate on verse 14 is anything too hard for the Lord? It may seem like everything is pressing up against you. It seems like all your dreams, that envision that God has given you is, is crumbling right before your eyes. And you can't see how is this ever going to come to pass. But God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And great comfort can come from that. Great peace can come from that. In the seasons of the unknown, <clears throat> May we draw strength from God's word. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love also we see here how Moses captured, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's the one who wrote out Genesis, the thoughts of God. And these scriptures here, Verse 17, this is the Lord's thoughts. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to look at this, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. If we are in Christ, we are the children of Abraham. We are to live and do what is right and just. It's how we ought to be living. For God is faithful to what he has established. And it's so vital, you all, that others see our lives lived as an expression of worship unto our God. Complete surrender unto Him. To live right and just. So that our lives are not pointing to us, but pointing to Him. And all throughout the generations before us, in our generations and the generations to come, that's how the people of God have lived, are living, and will live mm -hmm. as unto the Lord. For that is what the Lord has established. When you think about their circumcised heart, 
And how do you know if your heart has been circumcised by the way that you live? You will live right and just. You will live loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. And I love this picture, too, of how Abraham tended to his guest. And that culture, and, and, and you've noticed when you've traveled to other cultures, they're very welcoming to strangers. They take strangers in and they care for strangers and they'll give, they'll prepare their last meal for the strangers. And somehow in our culture we've lost that. And we don't care for strangers. We're just looking out for ourselves. But oh, that's not what God has called us to do. We're to care for others, to serve them, and to love them. Again, we are God's people. Do you see the covenant that was established that was spoken long before us? <laughs> the covenant that was made with Abraham is still in effect today. It's fulfilled in Christ. But it's that everlasting covenant that was spoken then fulfilled through Christ. And when Christ returns, he's gathering those who lived just and right lives. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm reading verse 1 through 24. What are our motives? This is Jesus' words. <laughs> you have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say... Oh, nope, I'm with the wrong one, right? Yes, I am. Alright, so, chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out! <laughs> do, don't do your good deeds publicly... To be admired by others. For you will lose the reward your father from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. They have received the applause of man. <laughs> That's their reward. Oh, but let's not live for the applause of man. Let's not live to, 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 for others to see how we're giving and what we're doing and making it about us. He says, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. <clears throat> your father who sees everything will reward you. Now he moves on about prayer and fasting. Two spiritual disciplines that we should have in our lives as believers. And as believers, we should understand too what we just said we should be giving. Whatever the Lord has laid on your heart to give. We should be giving to others who are in need. To, to the needs that we as a church bring up. We should be giving 
and, and to others. And not boasting about what we give. No, just give what you and whatever God has placed in your heart and you give in obedience to that. Giving to the needy shouldn't be a struggle within yourself. Just seek God for what you should give and in that give. And now two other disciplines in your life. Prayer and fasting. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom soon, I mean, come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father won't forgive your sins. Prayer. Prayer. Your motives in prayer should be that of God and not of yourself. Not to draw attention to yourself. Not to boast in, 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 in your praying. Or even how... Your, answer, your prayers have were answered. And your boasting should only be in the Lord. And your prayer life should be just that. Yes, there's times where you pray in public in agreement with other believers. But you should have a prayer life of your own. You should have a prayer life of your own. A time throughout the day. Allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you in your prayer life. For the needs of others, for the needs for yourself. Pray without ceasing to develop that prayer life. To humble yourself before God and not make it about yourself. But keep Him first. And I love this, this prayer, the Lord's prayers Jesus has laid out here before us. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Look at this provision. And even before he asks for provision, what is he, what, what's the example he gives us to acknowledge God? The source of it all. God. <clears throat> It's about Him. It's about His kingdom. It's about His purpose. And in that, keeping that in the forefront of your prayers, then you can bring these petitions before Him. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us, living a life of humility, 
of not holding on to resentment and bitterness. Prayers are being hindered because of unforgiveness in the heart. We're asking of a holy God for provision, and yet we're harboring unforgiveness and sin in our lives. It doesn't work that way. No matter how religious you think it is, no matter what you want to lay out to do, your prayers are not going to be answered. And we've already read that before, that when you come and you ask, believe what you're asking. Yes. Don't be double-minded, because right. you're not going to receive it. So it's not about being religious. It's not about holding a form of religion. Oh, because I have to pray. No. Like, this, is, this is real. This is reality. This is Jesus' words. He's teaching us to pray. And there must, be something, there must have been something about Jesus' prayer for even when the disciples asked, teach us to pray. And I was reading a commentary where it says, they didn't ask him to teach us how to raise people from the dead. They didn't ask him, teach us how to see, you know, raise the food to heaven to be multiplied. No, they asked, teach us how to pray. And here's this layout for us, this, this if you will, these instructions but are we really following Jesus' words? When you pray, pray this way. Acknowledge God. Petition for your needs. Be transparent with your heart. Forgive others. Let me goes on here. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. A protection. Acknowledging Him. That only God can bring about what God has purposed for our lives. Only God can do that. He goes on now. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is, only, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father. Who knows what you do in, in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So even your fasting, you're not to boast them. You're fasting. To honor God in that season of fast. You don't just walk around and, 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 and you know, oh, you know, you look weak and you look tired and, you know, oh, but I'm fasting. That's not how you do it. People even shouldn't know you're fasting. Doesn't mean that you can't share with, you know, people who are holding you accountable and praying for you that you're in a fast. That's okay. But it's the motives behind the heart that while I'm fasting, I'm going to boast in front of you all that I am. And look how well I'm fasting. Now, that should not be our heart motives. Again, we're not gaining applause from man. We're not trying to make man notice us and how spiritual we are. That's not how a Christian lives. Remember, we're called to be humble, to make it about him and not about us. 
Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. No, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires your heart will also be. It's either on the temporal things or on the eternal things. Don't strive, you all, to gain the temporalness of life. Because it doesn't last. You should strive for the things that are eternal. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. That's a powerful line. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. If you think, you're religious. <laughs> if you think that you're bearing light, and you're actually not, what a fool you are. You've deceived yourself. And we've talked about that here if you've been around me long enough. I think the greatest deception is not that you're deceiving other people. You know, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I post things about God, I live for Jesus, 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 and yet, your actions and your life do not even reflect him. You've deceived yourself. No matter how many hallelujahs you get, no matter how many praises you get or likes you get, if it's not truly who you are, you've deceived yourself. And look what it says there, how deep that darkness is. Wow. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You're not trying to obtain wealth in this world, you all. Money in and of itself isn't bad. But if that's your God, if that's where your heart is, if that is what you're treasuring is wealth, then your heart isn't towards God. What are your motives? Your motives as a Christian should be to please God, to honor God, to do these spiritual disciplines in a way that honors God and brings Him glory, and not to bring men's attention towards you. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a Pharisee and a Sadducee who they thought they knew God and yet did not know God. They hold a form of godliness, but they deny his power. Don't be that way. Live your life according to God's truth and his word. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Grow and mature. If you're sitting here today and you're not living as you should, but don't beat yourself up. Go to God. Repent. Turn to him. Let him finish the work that he's begun in you. It's like what the message we heard on Friday night. Mature, grow, learn who you are in Christ.
throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and pursue righteousness. Pursue God. Live for God and honor God. Go to Psalm 7. Psalm 7. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done wrong or am I guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered the enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me on the ground and drag my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. End the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and, and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. The wicked conceive evil. And they are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others. They fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Wow. It's a beautiful song such encouragement that we can take from it. That God is our protector. That He saves us from those that will bring us harm. And I even love the fact that David here says, and if I cause this, if my hands have caused this for the things that I've done, then so be it. Then give me what I deserve. Wow. How honest, right before God. Let me face the consequences then of what I caused. How many of us can really say that to God? To be real with God. God, if it was me, if I've done wrong, then so be it, God. Let me face the consequences. Because even if facing those consequences, we know that God is still just and faithful. And He will see us through what we must face for what we have done with our own hands. God is my shield. 
saving those, look at this, whose hearts are true and right. And we know God is a just God. He will judge the wicked. A person, again, we see this concept of repentance, even back here. But I really want to close in looking at verse 14. The wicked conceive evil, and they are pregnant with trouble, and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. It's how the wicked lives. They're so consumed with themselves and getting for themselves. They're pregnant, they're birthing these, they're wicked schemes. But it always comes back on them. It always will. It always will. So let us not go along with the wicked. Amen. Careful who's influencing our lives. Careful who we are getting counsel from. Careful of whom we are entrusting our lives to. Mm-hmm. The wicked? Yeah, no. They shouldn't be speaking into your life. You shouldn't be seeking counsel from them. Because all they know is this. This is what they birth. And it all comes back on them. Careful. You're to put your hope and trust in the Lord. Seeking wisdom from God. Seeking godly counsel. And then he closes, I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. For there is no one like our God, you all. We were in this little shopping center yesterday. And there was a store there. And this woman actually thinks she's doing good. She believes in what she believes in. She worships angels. She's mixed with New Age and she, you know, palm reading and all of that stuff. And I thought, wow, as I was standing there, just kind of praying for her and her establishment. I was like, how many people try to go in there seeking wisdom from her? How many people can see her little trinkets that she has set up in these beautiful statues of these angels and be so moved by them? And yet it's so deceptive that it's the enemy. Looks good. Feels right. And yet, it is so wrong. Seeking counsel from her. Seeking, you know, to to worship angels. Who angels in themselves would not receive your worship. First of all, if you knew anything about the Bible, angels will not take worship from God. And yet it's promoted as light, and yet it's full of darkness. Careful whom you're seeking counsel from and what and who we think we're worshiping. He is the God most high. There is no one above him. There is no one like him. He is God. He is the one who has established his covenant. He is the one who has spoken all into existence. And he is the one that is fulfilling what he has purposed. 
This is our God, you all. Careful. There's so much out there trying to, to, to get our attention. But we as God's people, as we read just a little bit ago, are to live right and just in this earth. While we're on this earth, to live right and just before God. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. One through five. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. I love how this opens up. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Do we treasure his word? Do we treasure? There's so many, so much laid out in his word for us. Are we treasuring this? The living word. We're commanded to, to do multiple things through here. Of course, we understand the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your body, and with all your strength. Are you treasuring that? Wisdom is found. In these pages. Wisdom. That you need. In order to live. A right and just life. Before God. On this earth. Remember apart from him you could do nothing. And there has to be application to this. Listen to what it says here. Tune your ears to wisdom. And concentrate. On understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of God. Until then, you won't know God. Think about that. Tune your ears to wisdom. And concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord. Wow. To really understand what it means. To have the knowledge of God. Reminds me when the scripture says, seek him and you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. <clears throat> Not with a divided heart. You're in one day and out the next. It's when the Lord, it's when the word says, if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. It's when I've encouraged you, you have as much as God as you want. Mm -hmm. But why wouldn't you want all of him? The knowledge of him. Fear of him so that you will live a right and just life on this earth. So that is my prayer for us today. Is that we will go forth this week and really meditate 
upon the truths of God's Word that we've heard today. So what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to live a right and just life? What does it look like to, to tune our ears to wisdom? What does it look like to concentrate on understanding? What does it look like for you to cry out for insight and ask Him for understanding and to search for them throughout this week? The benefits of truly seeking God. It's available to find Him. If we would seek the wisdom and the understanding that we need to face what we're going to face within the next hour, within the next day, within this next week. Are we really going to just go and just live however? That's not how Christians ought to be living. It's a lesson for each of us. It's a lesson for myself. Again, we're not perfected until we're with Him, so we're continually growing. But if you're calling yourself a Christian, then you know, these are, this is the way that we are to be living. There is hope that we have that's in Christ. And we're not to be living and, and you know, fighting Him and rebelling against Him. No, we're to be living surrendered and submitted to Him. And in that, God, how am I to live now? So what does this look like for you this week to live a right and just life? When things are presented to you, how are you going to respond? When circumstances are out of control as they are, how are we responding? We don't have to respond like we did yesterday, or last week, or maybe just five, ten minutes ago. But here and now, God, I want to live right. I want to live just before you. Teach me. Teach us. May that be our prayer. I'll close this with this worship.
Thank you.